Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest. But first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Firms. International Coffee Firms grows and sells specialty coffee in Boquete, Panama. They now have 11 fully operational coffee farms and they are 100% sold out. They are accepting reservations for farm number 12. If the idea of owning a safe, diversified offshore investment is intriguing to you, check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back. Here on the Weekend Edition, we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Houston, Texas. Welcome to the show, Keith Baker. Thank you, Victor. Thanks for having me. Oh, Keith, you're a lender, you're an investor, and you're also the host of the Private Lender Podcast. Give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got into this crazy world. Fell into it. Like, like, like most of us, I was a, a hustler, did a lot of worked on houses through high school and college, ended up uh, with a degree in philosophy in German, which uh, meant that I was unemployable. So I went into construction, learned that many aspects of construction. When the timing was right in the oil field, I jumped over and the oil field took me out of the construction bit. So when I, when I came back into the office and I was home more often, I decided to pursue real estate. And because I have a day job that I like, uh, and can't always go run around and meet contractors. I've kind of gravitated to private lending because uh, I'm still involved. I'm still investing. It's still a, a bit of creative energy for me, and it's um it's a nice fit for uh for, for what I like to do. That's awesome. That's awesome. So talk a little bit about the types of projects. What's the sweet spot for you today? I like short loan flip, fix and flips, six month loans, where I can get some some points. And I'm not so much concerned about the, the, the interest rate, but to get some cash flow and coming in to build my reserves to get into bigger and better projects. However, the smaller the product, the length of time, the more I have to work, work it. So I, I, I also do a lot of, uh, for seller financing, I'll, I'll provide money for people who want to buy a home and then offer seller financing and, and wrap my mortgage. So I'll, I'll do some of that as well. And I try to, I'm probably about 50-50 on straight up private uh, lending for uh, rehabbers, fix and flips, and 50% on the seller finance side, which those are, you know, usually I, I tend to require a three-year commitment to have my money work for three years so I don't have to, to put it back to work. You know, the world of private lending is one where, you know, especially for folks that are new and looking to get into that world, they simply look at the interest rate, the premium that they can get, and they, you know, plug the numbers into an Excel spreadsheet, pat themselves on the back, and think life is good. Obviously, you've been at this a little while, Talk a little bit about how you vet your borrowers, because at the end of the day, a lender only asks one question. If I lend you money, how am I getting it back? That's really the only question. And you probably have very creative ways of asking that question, but that's really the only question. So the risk always is what percentage of deals go bad and, and how you manage that. It's a good question. And I like to tell people that the most important thing in private lending is ROI, and that is the return of the investment. Like you said, how do I get my money back? That's my number one question. And really the, the, the biggest safety net for that is the loan to value. Never give somebody more money than what the, the, the property is worth. So you want them buying it distressed. You want to, to escrow the repairs so that you don't give somebody say uh, $70,000 and then something goes wrong. And then the best you can do is recover 65. So I, I hold back repairs and then Close at a title company, which also brings in title insurance, property insurance, 
and other mechanisms that are in place such that if you know the bottom falls out of the market or this this investor gets hit by a bus insurance policies and contracts and paperwork are, are, are what's the primary silver bullet so to speak in protecting my money Right. So asset value, um, making sure you have a conservative loan to cost ratio. Are you managing draws during the renovation process or are you simply holding back until it's completed? Uh, it depends on the project, but most of the time if somebody wants to do a rehab, I hold uh, the, the funds in escrow. And only after we'll, we'll set up a draw schedule and when certain milestones are completed and an independent inspector goes by and verifies that, then we'll we'll reimburse the, for the next draw. Right. So they have to fund the float for uh, between draws. That's not something you're funding. Correct. Correct. Now there are um, now that is for people I don't know well. There are I started investing with very successful people here in the Houston area and being their lender. So for example, my first commercial loan was not intended to be a commercial loan. It just so hey we went went to a house I didn't like it. You just needed to tear it down. I, I didn't see where anybody could could sell or finance it. And he said, well, hey, look, there's a, there's a little strip center around the corner. You want to go take a look at it? <laughs> and next thing, and I told him, no, I'm not interested in commercial. I do residential. And well, the rest is history. Now I, uh, now I consider it uh, residential as well. Or, I'm sorry, commercial as well. In the world of residential, you have one of the most liquid assets that you can find. And uh, in particular, if you're in the segment of the market where there's the greatest demand, that's you know below that $250,000 price point where the buyer will potentially qualify for an agency loan, um, you know, an FHA 203B or something like that. That's one of the best things to get into from a liquidity standpoint. But then, like you said, you're dealing with small projects. If you're looking to scale up your business, how do you do that? Because at the end of the day, if you're investing in those entry-level homes, it puts a little bit of a cap on your business because the paperwork from your point of view is the same. It doesn't matter whether it's a $200,000 loan, a $2 million or $20 million loan, paperwork's almost the same. How do you scale up from there? Or do you even want to scale up? It's a great question. And I was fortunate. I've been, I've been lucky enough to find some really good mentors through my career. And once I started private lending, once everyone found out, you know, I'd go to a RIA meeting, oh, he's a private lender. I was tapped out within 20 seconds. I mean, everybody wanted you know this project, that project. So when it came to to scaling up, like I said, that first commercial was just dumb luck. You know, I'm not accredited. Don't you know? Really didn't have any money. I had an old 401k that I was lending out of at the time. However, the investor got the property super cheap. He paid seventy thousand dollars on a property that appraised as is at three hundred thousand. So even if he lost and he's messed up, and I told him when, when after we closed, I said, look you cannot pay me a dime and I will still loan to you because I can take this property back and make a tremendous amount of money. Of course, he's a savvy investor. He's done quite well. He refied me out, owner financed it or seller financed it. And then the, uh, the poor lady got divorced and walked away from it. And now he has the property all over again and, and ready to sell. So it's, it's worked out for him. But in, in terms of scaling up, I, I sought people out. I started, I, I knew that I was in a pond, uh, a good pond. However, if I wanted to go into in, in bigger and better projects, I needed to to get in proximity of the people who do that. So the way I started was go I joined a mastermind with a commercial lender and who changed my mindset. I went Dave Ramsey, started saving pennies again because I, I you know if you want to be a lender, you got to have money. So I started doing that to hoarding money, so to speak, going into the savings mode to try to uh, to build up my my reserves. And then really, like I said, back to the mentors, getting the mastermind and the, uh, the office building that I work in during my nine to five, found the owner, great guy. He's retired and 
He only wants to be a lender now. He's done all of his development. He's done everything. And he just wants to sit back and do lending. So I, I have lunch with him periodically. And he's, it's great advice. I'll ask a question. You know, no, all questions are stupid and all questions are great. You know, I'll ask him something. Say, well, why do you want to do that? Well, because of this. Well, why don't you do it this way? And so by having these meetings and these masterminds, I'm slowly but surely coming into, you know, getting that closer and closer to being an, accredited to where I can get into the bigger and better deals. Very interesting. That's a, that's a very interesting progression. And I can definitely see where some of those relationships could have future potential for you as well, potentially to collaborate on some projects with other lenders. Um, you know, one of the things that we see, even in the world of banking, you know, uh, we're, we're in discussions with a, with a commercial bank and the bank has a lending limit and our projects larger than the lending limit, but they're willing to pull two or three other banks into the project as a consortium to do the project that way. And I think in the world of private lending, you can probably do the same thing. What I like about private lending is it's truly creative financing. I've been a part, I haven't done it myself, but I have, I've been the lender to a, for a property that was seller financed in which motorcycles and boats were swapped and pawned and sold. And I mean, it's, there's no limit. It's not just, okay, here's your fanny you know, mortgage, your FHA mortgage or your conventional. It's when, when you're in the private realm. And of course, now this is not owner occupant. These are, you know, investment loans, business loans, not loaning to a mortgage to someone to live in the house. You have a lot more leeway in, in terms of what you can do. And, you know, if let's say I'm, I'm a bass fisherman and, you know, and I, I have an eye on that bass boat, I might give a concession to make the deal happen just so I can get the bass boat. I might take, I might shave points. I might reduce interest rate or maybe go from a monthly to a quarterly payment. There's a whole world of variables that you can negotiate in, in the private lending world. And I, and I really like that. That's fascinating. One of the things that we often hear about in the world of private lending is the geographic radius. You know, some lenders only, let's say, lend within a 50 mile radius of where they live. It's a kind of almost a cottage industry where it's got to fit within that that circle. And yet I've talked to other lenders that will lend nationwide where my gut says, boy, you've got to have really strong due diligence teams and very strong systems in order to do that effectively and manage the risk. What's been your philosophy? Both. Uh, start small, start in my backyard. Uh, I'm very, I guess, a visual learner. I've always, uh, hands-on, uh, you know, sitting in class learning never really clicked for me. But if I was doing the work. I always understood almost intuitively. So when I started real estate and started lending, the old adage, you know, real estate's local. So I started in my backyard and only uh, would loan in the, in the Houston area within 30 to 60 minutes from my house. As I became more and more comfortable, like you said, having that team of, to do your due diligence is, is crucial. And so you, you've got to have, uh, and let's, let's go extreme. Since I'm in the middle South, let's go to the extreme markets of the US, East Coast, West Coast. It can be done. But you do need to have boots on the ground, someone who understands the macro and the micro factors that are you know affecting you know where for example Amazon right where where's the that that whole thing about where they're going to put their corporate headquarters? We saw it here in Houston with with Exxon. They built this tremendously huge campus in Spring, just north of Houston, and you should have seen the wholesale deals flying. Uh, well, I say advertised wholesale deals. Whether or not they were deals is yet to be determined, but there was a lot of activity that was going on. So I always impress on people, start small, start local. If you're not comfortable loaning, make sure you can see it, touch it, taste it, and smell it. You know, if the dog died in the house, you want, go, go smell it. I know it's a horrible thing to say, but immerse yourself locally. 
then as your network, you know, you build your network, you can branch your wings a little bit, right? So I'd go from say Houston to Dallas, right? Or maybe into Kansas City or Chicago. No, Chicago's a very bad example. But um, but geographically I would I would uh I would I would I'd space out and, and that's one of the things that I am looking to do is uh, I, I, I have um, befriended an investor in, in the Carolinas who is uh, quite successful. You know, he's got the track record and he's a known entity. So I'm going to go with him first rather than my neighbor whose cousin happened to find a deal, you know, down the street. That's how I plan to branch out. And, you know, with the advent of crowdfunding and you can, it's very passive. It's not as involved as private lending, but it can be you know, any, anywhere, U.S., Canada, Mexico, vacation spots, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just get comfortable. I guess that's a long way of saying get comfortable in your backyard and then start branching out little by little. Well, Keith, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? I'm at privatelenderpodcast.com and you can email me at Keith at privatelenderpodcast.com and the the podcast is uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever most uh, those platforms, you can find me there as well. Well, Keith, great to catch up with you again. And uh, will I see you next year at Podcast Movement Conference? I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I was going to do a virtual, but I had so much fun at this last one. I think, I think I'm going to be, I'll see you in Orlando. Well, great to talk to you again, Keith. And for the listeners at home, check out Keith at the Private Lender Podcast. And in the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 